0: Welcome to this debate all about recycling tyres, organised by Europe, the European Recycling Industries Confederation. I'm Kira Jens a at Euractive. I'll be moderating our debate as we look at what is needed to achieve more circularity in tyres across the value chain. This recyclers talk is the last in a series of webinars on the circular economy. You can find information about the series and lots more on recycling and sustainability on Europe's website and social media. But never fear if you've been enjoying these talks, they will be back in the autumn. Now, tyres are complex products made from high-quality raw materials such as rubber, steel and textile fibres. Rubber is also a critical raw material, but for every tyre that is mechanically recycled, one goes to incineration. Recyclers have invested heavily to recover more materials from end-of-life tyres and all the while creating non-outsourceable jobs and contributing to sustainability. But there is still lots to do to boost tyre recycling in Europe. Many recycled tyres go into making Europe's football pitches, but restrictions currently being considered by the European Commission on Microplastics could prevent that. We'll be looking at some of the arguments around that debate and some of the solutions to ensure that tyres can contribute as much as possible to a circular economy in our Q&A session later. We'll have two opportunities to answer questions from our audience today. The first chance for questions will be after our keynote speeches. Then we will hear a short introduction from each of our panellists before the Q&A debate when you can put your questions to them. To submit a question, you can use the Q&A box on the right of your screen, choosing the All Panellists option. Please also make sure to indicate the speaker to whom your question is addressed. But first, to kick off and introduce us to the topic, we have Paul Steen Rasmussen, President of Europe's Mechanical Tire Recycling Branch and Group CEO at Genham Tire Recyclers. Mr Steen Rasmussen, the floor is yours.
1: Well, thanks very much. Uh, first of all, I would like to take this opportunity to welcome you all to this uh, number four recyclers talks uh, within Eurek and uh, this time it's about tires so it's very much related to what I'm doing. I am basically here for two reasons. One is that I am the president of the Eurek MTR section and then also a part, board member of Eurek. But then secondly I'm also here because I'm the group CEO of Genan which is the largest mechanical recycler of tires in Europe. Now mechanical Tire Recycling or MTR means basically, for those of you who are not familiar with that, that we are tearing the tires apart and bringing back the three main components from the beginning, namely the textile, the steel and the rubber itself. As was just mentioned by Kira, uh, tires are fantastic and very sophisticated product. We are all very happy having it under our vehicles because it makes our journeys a lot more comfortable. The, the only hiccup is that after a certain number of years, the tire will be end-of-life. It can no longer be used for what it was originally produced for. And then it ends up what we call an ELT, end-of-life tire. And that's where we come into the game. And the fact is that this ELT is a bit of a challenge for the planet, for our all, because of the number of tires that we are consuming. Uh, On total worldwide, we are talking about 20 million tons of tires that every Year are being disposed of. Now, if you put those tires next to each other, you'll get around equator 31 times. So we are talking about a substantial number of tires or put it into even more tangible numbers during our webinar today, which will take two hours and 45 minutes, around about half a million tires will be disposed of during that period of time. So what happens to all those ELTs? Well, worldwide, our best guess is that less than 10% are being recycled mechanically. Most of it will be burnt or incinerated as energy recovery or simply just left for the next generation in landfilling or things that are even worse. So it's not a very big part that today are being recycled mechanically. In Europe, things look a little bit better. In Europe, we have around about 3 million tons of tires a year. And of those, 1. 4 million tons of tires are being recycled mechanically every year. Now, that corresponds to more or less the same number of tires in Europe that are being incinerated for energy consumption or recovery. So, we are more or less one-to-one in in Europe on that sense. Now, the benefit of actually recycling tires mechanically, uh, Kia was just mentioning it very briefly, but of course, there is the resource efficiency of actually using the rubber once again rather than to plant rubber trees and and extract virgin rubber. And we are also putting the steel into good use. We still have some challenges on the textile, but we're working hard on finding better options for that. There is a very obvious and strong climate effect of recycling mechanically. Um, Lars Rohauge will be explaining that part a lot better a little later in the presentation today. A lot of studies have been carried through LCA studies with peer reviews, and lastly, we explain about that, but the rule of thumb, thumb is that every time that we recycle 1,000 kilos of tires, around about 700 kilos of CO2 will be saved for emission. And that, of course, is substantial. When you look at it, for example, as one of the hot issues that was also mentioned by Kira, namely the microplastic plastic issue, where it has been considered what to do with or not to do with the recycled rubber infill, In that specific application, we are today using 0.5 million tons of tires out of the 1.4. So a substantial part of that is actually going into infill. And alone that application saves the climate for around about 350,000 tons of CO2. So there are some significant climate efficiency of recycling for sure. Top of that, of course, there is innovative issues and also labor uh, job creation in this industry, which I, as the CEO of INA, can certainly confirm that in terms of creation of jobs, there are more in recycling mechanically than there is in incinerating it or landfilling the tires. But it all requires significant investments and uh, and really investments in state of art equipment to, to treat these tires. It's not an easy task to tear a tire apart. And uh, therefore, we have to continuously invest. The only problem is that we are here touching on a very essential part that I will address today, is that for us to continue to invest in these sorts of things, we need a framework that is very clear on how can we deal with this market long-term and short-term. We are experiencing uh, quite a lot that the regulatory framework is changing and it's giving us lasting obstacles to really achieving that Increasing capacity of recycling that we would like to have. And it doesn't only account for tires that we experience in this thing. It's also to do with the rest of our, in Europe, our frame, our streams of recycling materials. The fact of the matter is that today, around about 12% of raw materials used by Euro industry is today coming from recycling material. Now, that's not a very high number when we consider and all agree that recycling is a major contributor to achieving the objective set out in the Green Deal. So we need to have more clear, intelligent legislation and stable regulatory framework under which we can operate. That is really a key for us as recyclers to to continue to develop what we're doing, not only within tires, but in all streams. Now to achieve that, we as an industry of recyclers in tires, we're reaching out to both national and EU policymakers, the tire value chain, local communities, environmental NGOs, simply in order to enter into a constructive discussion, in order to see if we together can support and develop the right solution that can ensure the safe use of recycled material and bring that material back into products and thus move forward and towards a more circular economy. The playing field simply has to be well-defined and we cannot move the goalpost all the time. We experience that very often, we are feeling that we are playing on a battlefield field where things are changing very rapidly and we never know really where we're going. And in order to obtain that, my main message is that essentially, we have to change a few issues that have to be reviewed in this context. Recycling material is completely different to virtual material. It is so that for very good reasons, when you recycle a thing, you take and mix a lot of different products within the same range of products, but they are not exactly the same. So table of contents is very hard and a big challenge for recycling materials to come up with. So if we have a regulatory uh, system or framework where we insisting on table of content, It's difficult for the recycled material to come up with that we should have a lot more focus on migration and this is one of the things we will like and push forward Uh, i can take as an example a tire tire is consisting of around about 20 compounds of of rubber and when we mix that together with a lot of different tires it's very very hard to say what the real content a table of content is because it's not homogeneous so that's one part we have to look more from a regulatory framework side of things into migration rather than to consistently hold on to table of content, which is favoring virgin material. Another one is the microplastic issue where we are also in a situation where we have a very good circular economy going with using it for infill. The way it's done today, where it's not being put in place and made sure it stays on the pitch, we are not in favor of that. But we also not in favor of just banning it because if you ban it, you might Think you solve a problem by creating an even bigger one with the climate? Because what to do with 50 million tons of tires or the half million tons? Sorry, 50 million tires or the half a million tons of tires. So again, we have to have a pragmatic input to this uh, and look at it not so, you know, firmly on one side of things, but we have to see it in a more pragmatic way in the bigger picture. So we as an as an industry. We don't want basically to solve one problem by creating another. It has to be both environmental and climate sound solutions that we are developing. And we are very prepared to contribute to that development. We simply need to look at our new mining industry. And the new mining industry is not what the planet Earth gave us as raw materials. The mining industry is the products that we already produce that we have to process into new products. And I'm running out of time now, but I will spend one minute of giving you a personal anecdote. And that is, I've been in this industry for five years almost. I came after 20 years in heavy industry where we are using a lot of fossil energy. And I was really looking forward to going into this environmental, you know, frontier sort of industry and being on the right side of the table, green industry. But I have to say that ever since I started in the recycling industry, I've never, ever spent so much time on defending my product. And I think that we have to change because we are very much a part of the solution to achieve the Green Deal. And we cannot have that we spend so much time on defending our products. That was all. Again, thanks very much for joining. And I will pass the word back to our moderator, Jira. Thank you and have a good day.
0: Thank you, Mrs. Sarah Smithson. Uh, some really useful points to introduce us to our topic and also some calls for policymakers. And we have one of those up next. We have Enrique Garcia, policy officer at the European Commission. Mr. Garcia is a biochemist working in the Waste and Secondary Materials Unit of DG Environment. So, without any further ado, Mr. Garcia, you have the floor.
2: Yes. Uh, hello and good afternoon to everybody. Uh, thank you to Eureka for having me here in this in this event. Um, I have been asked to to give a, a brief uh, policy overview uh, of the many interesting things which are going on around the Green Deal and the Circular Economy Action Plan, and of course, with a bit of a focus on elements which are relevant to tires and tire recycling. So I will try to achieve that in the coming 10 minutes. Um, Next slide, please. So, um, yes, we're talking about circularity, and as mentioned by Mr. Rasmussen, the previous speaker, we are talking about, uh, about balancing a number of interests and sometimes rather difficult all of which are highlighted in the um in the green deal and in the circular economy action plan so of course you've seen this diagram many times about what uh, about a, about what a circular economy means and where we want to maintain the value of products and materials um, in the economy for as long as possible and waste generation is minimized in this circular um, concept of materials of course the borders between what is waste and products are becoming fuzzier and fuzzier in, in my view but of course we still have the different legal frameworks which which remain and which obviously come from from, from, from a historical background so whenever we are talking about uh, recycling and, and and recovery and how to deal with with materials and make the most of, of materials and giving them a new life In the end, uh, we're looking at it from the perspective of the different uh, European Green Deal objectives, and that is the climate uh, ambition, and the Fit for 55 uh, objectives we have, biodiversity, challenges that we have, of course, the desire to make Europe's economy more circular, and our ambitions as regards zero pollution, all of which have been uh, published in, in, in some of them very recently. In the context of the chemical products and waste interface, which is in the end what we are talking about, you, uh, you may all remember a, a communication that was published in 2018. Um, we have a number of, of priorities. Obviously, the first one perhaps links to waste prevention, but of course, also when waste cannot be prevented, we have a waste hierarchy and there we want to ensure that we have safe and toxic free, as toxic free as possible, materials and material cycles. Of course, we want to enhance the reuse and recycling and have a well functioning secondary materials market. And as an umbrella above all this, we want to do this with as much as possible a reduction in greenhouse gas emissions and that our activities do not contribute to the greenhouse problem that we have. Next slide, please. So I will not run through all the different initiatives which are mentioned here. I think by now all of them have been published, Uh, as you know. The Commission has been quite busy in the last uh, year developing uh, strategies and plans and and already in some cases proposing uh, legislation. This is the case of of the batteries of the Commission's proposal for a batteries regulation, which is perhaps the first deliverable under the Circular Economy Action Plan, but there are many others to come in in this year and, and coming years. And we have a big package with many ambitions, some of them, of course, uh, touch on on all all sorts of aspects of 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 waste management and recycling. And sustainability in general, and others are perhaps more directly applicable to what we are talking today about tires. Uh, Next, please. So in this. Next slide, please. Yeah. So in this in in this. um, In this ambition and in this very exhaustive uh, package of measures and ideas that the commission has put forward in recent times the last being the zero pollution action plan uh, chemicals uh, and recycling play a very important role and it has already been mentioned by the previous speaker that of course uh, recycling and managing waste and Getting products out of waste is a bit of a special business in the sense that the uh, waste is more heterogeneous. The way it is collected, it becomes mixed. So it is. it has its problems of its own. We do very much want to promote the uptake of materials and do the best we can for waste. Of course, we also want to do this in a safe and sustainable manner. And that brings us, again, to the discussion of what to do with the chemicals in them, especially when we're talking about uh, substances of concern, most of which are hazardous chemicals, which in one way or another uh, pose a problem to uh, the subsequent uses of those recycled materials. And uh, the presence of these chemicals is, of course, partly uh, a legacy problem. So the use of substances in the past, which are still found in waste, but which are no longer used now. Others are still substances, which for one reason or another, we still have to use to provide a certain functionality. But we always find that I think whenever we specifically recycling stream we always find this issue of chemicals hazardous chemicals and how to deal with them and how to ensure that the subsequent uses of the products we recover are dealt with so um as part of the circular economy action plan uh we have under the section on less waste and more value a number of objectives which are listed here or other actions a lot of them have to do uh with the tracking of uh substances of concern in recycled materials and the articles made thereof um and there we have already some actions which are already uh, in place such as the database or uh, substances and articles the skip database we have recently adopted the chemical strategy for sustainability addressing uh, some of the some of the threats which were already um, indicated in the in the communication on the interface and uh, as one of the actions that we have committed to, and which goes in line of providing, or at least contributing to provide some legal certainty, at least for some waste streams, uh, has to do with considering the development of further EU-wide end-of-waste and potentially byproduct criteria. This is something that the Commission is working on right, right now, and of course, member states uh, also. Next, please. So, um, Talking about byproducts products and end of waste, this has always been uh, a very demanded action uh, put forward uh, for the commission to take, uh, already from the times we were doing consultation in preparation for the interface communication, and this has still continued in every successive consultation that we have done on this matter. Of course, um, providing legal clarity of how and when a certain material that is waste ceases to be waste and can become a product that can be marketed, or when a certain industrial material, which is produced by a productive industry, is not waste and can be considered a by-product, they are, they are all important discussions at the national and regional level. They contribute to providing clarity on the trading of these substances, also on the trans-frontier uh, movement of these materials, and it is a matter of concern on which we hope we will be able to be proposing. Uh, some EU-wide criteria for selected waste streams. We did a study back in 2018, and it ran into 2019. The, the link was provided there. And in that study, we we did and analyzed a number of, of case studies. I will not run through them, but one of them had to do with end-of-waste criteria for rubber and tires, where a number of EU member states already have end-of-waste criteria. Next, please. And The study, uh, it was in the link provided before, can be downloaded and it is publicly available. So. What are we doing there well as you well know articles five and six of the waste framework directive dealing with uh, byproducts and end of waste respectively were amended into the 2018 review of the directive and it brings a clearer responsibilities on member states on ensuring that uh, that uh, when a waste uh, meets certain criteria it ceases to be waste this is seen as an instrument to push materials that can be recycled back into the into the system it also requires the Commission to develop possible end-of-waste criteria and byproduct criteria, so we have a mandate as well. We did a stakeholder survey uh, last year, so towards the end of last year and running until the beginning of, of this one, um, asking about different um, different streams uh, and also asking for, for for proposals for new ones with some justification and requesting quite a number of technical informations and quantities and prices and and treatments and a number of things. Uh, We are still working on this. We have analyzed the information and um, before the end of the year, we will have developed a shortlist which should, if everything goes well, allow us to come to the conclusion that some of those uh, streams merit EU wide intervention rather than leaving it only at the the national level. and we would then be able to propose the development of some of those criteria by some more in-depth uh, studies with, uh, with the Joint Research Center, as has been done in the past. Um, as part of this, a workshop is planned uh, later this year. It will be most likely already in September. And, um, and there will be future work. Next, please. And finally, there are, there are just to, give a, to close a bit, the, the overview of things which are obviously of, of concern to, to, to tire recycling has to do with uh, two actions which are happening under REACH, uh, one of which has been already mentioned by the previous speaker. Um, probably starting in chronological order, um, under REACH, we worked on uh, restriction on PAHs in rubber granules. This is a rather long story. It started already in, t- in 2016 uh, due to some concerns about the potential problems caused by rubber infill in, in, in football fields. Uh, the Commission already requested a study. Uh, to ECHA, which was done in 2017 and after that a number of things happened uh, and and a dossier was presented for restriction of these polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons uh, in in uh, in in rubber granulates this was uh, proposed by the Netherlands and and ECA and to cut a long story short um, there was a vote already some time ago in the REACH committee with a limit for PAHs which is shown there 20 milligrams per kilo the measure was under scrutiny until recently, and now uh, the adoption process is already launched, and we hope that this restriction will be already published in the official journal, uh, even maybe this month, but most likely early July 2021, so next month. That restriction I think you most of you already know about. And then there is work ongoing also, you are well aware, uh, on the intentionally added microplastics. And there again, this comes already from way back, where we have a European strategy for plastics. Uh, we have an opinion from the group of scientific chief advisors regarding the risks of microplastics pollution and the clear political commitment to take action against microplastic pollution under the CFP. Uh, this is uh, number of actions are due in 2021 20, uh, and further. Uh, the Commission has received an opinion from ECHA on a dossier that ECHA prepared for the Commission. It was received in February 2021. And the, this is now with the Commission and especially the, with the colleagues dealing with, um, with REACH, both in Environment and DG Grow. And this work is now ongoing. I cannot tell you uh, what the outcome is going to be because this is still, of course, being discussed internally and then will require discussion with member states. But this is ongoing and uh, you will certainly know more in, in the coming year, I would expect. So many interesting things going on, and I haven't touched on other uh, issues which, of course, link to other routes for recycling. I know there are very many interesting discussions going on in the sector linked to the use of, of, of rubber granulate, for example, in asphalt and in rubberized asphalt, which is, I think, something very worth uh, considering and looking at. Also, you may be aware in the Commission we're having many discussions about recycling and the definition of recycling. There's even some ongoing work in with the JRC. And about the role of chemical recycling, uh, which is a, a, an important subject in general, and potentially also touches on, on on fires as well. I know also there are some projects on de of, of rubber, amongst others. So I think I will leave it here because I have already spent, I think, all my time. Uh, so I wish you a very good rest of the meeting, and I will certainly listen with interest to your discussions. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Mr. Garcia. And just before we, we let you go, we have a couple of questions to ask you. Um, the first comes from Susan Madelon. Uh, Recyclers can only support that the same limit values for hazardous substances should be in primary and secondary material. Rubber is a, spe- a special case. Are there specific actions planned that will support secondary and byproduct material with reference to tyres? Uh, End of voice end of waste criteria is critical and will open the markets. What is your response to that?
2: Well, I mean, as regards the having the same uh, criteria applicable to primary and secondary materials, well, that is that is stated in both the uh, well certainly the chemical strategy for sustainability, and we have stated it before in other policy documents, and we will try to adhere to that as much as possible, although that same chemical strategy also recognises that there may be there might be case by case um derogations from that principle usually um, time limited and as long as the uses are safe but as a general principle we certainly see that as the only way of guaranteeing acceptability and good market penetration of recovered materials um, tires are indeed a complex mix of substances that's clear and any any specifications along those lines uh, beyond the Specific elements like the restriction on PAHs, which which will be published, I hope, next month, would indeed come potentially from things like end of waste criteria. Um, some member states uh, at the national level have already engaged in that. And what I can tell you is that amongst the the, the different um, streams that the Commission is considering for um, requesting uh, the JRC to, to to do a detailed end of waste criteria proposal, one of the streams under consideration, of course, is uh, Robert Granulet whether it will be ultimately shortlisted or not is something I cannot yet uh, anticipate but it is certainly there. Thank you.
0: And one last question before we let you go uh, okay. from Jans Uh One question to you. Why does waste tyre devolcanisation, why is it still in early stages in Europe? Do you think there's something the Commission could do to help boost it?
2: um to be honest i'm not sure i can give you a detailed reply on, on on that uh i understand that in general it is a relatively uh novel technique i am aware of of at least one project uh i believe financed by the eu on this matter but i am not a specialist on the on the matter so i understand it is still it is a at least a conceptually promising um work because of course uh it would it would it goes more into the into the chemical recycling line but um I am not sure of the exact status of it, but it is certainly an area in which I know work is going on.
0: Great, right, and we can get more into that with our speakers later on. Thank you so much for joining us, Mr. Garcia. And now we can move on to our Q&A debate. I'm joined by representatives of the whole tyre value chain to discuss what is needed to have better circularity for all the materials contained in tyres. Now we can start upstream with the European tyre and rubber manufacturers. Alex van Gelderen is advisor for ELT management, and Fazalet Sinarap is secretary general. To look at tyre recycling in the European Green Deal and the need for policymakers to rely on life cycle assessment studies, we have Lars Rauhoutch. He is external consultant for environment and business development at Genon. Looking at applications of recycled rubber in products, such as infill used in artificial turf pitches, we have Alistair Cox, who is technical director at EMEA, Synthetic Turf Council. To share the views on the possible dangers of substances of concern as we move to a more circular economy, we have Elise Vitelli. She is Policy Officer for Chemicals at the European Environmental Bureau. And finally, to look at the future for recycling tyres and innovative ways to approach tyre recycling, recyclers' needs, challenges and opportunities, we have Sonia McGert, She is Chief Operating Officer at Tyre Recycling Solutions. Thank you all for joining us. I'd like to remind our audience that they can leave questions in the Q&A box at the right of the screen. Please also indicate the panelists to whom your question is addressed. Now, I'd like to start by asking our panelists to give a short introduction on their position on this topic. Mr. van Gelderen, I believe you're going to do the introduction for the European Tire and Rubber Manufacturers Association. So to introduce us to tire management, you have the floor.
3: Uh, Thank you. You can go to to the first slide um i think i'm going to give a try to give a little bit of an overview of what has been happening in, in europe in the, in the past uh, 20 years the status today and, and a little bit of a few of a look towards the future uh really from the from the egma uh, eot management uh perspective and uh, trying to keep the 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 the, the rubber into the, into the supply chain for as long as uh, for as long as possible um and also trying to achieve the highest uh, possible application, of course, of this uh, of the rubber material. So if you can go to the to the next slide, um, this is a little bit of an overview of what is uh, what is the past and present state. And I think uh, the, the, the the left picture shows about the situation 20 years ago, uh, before the the 2002 um, banning of the of the landfill landfilling of tires. Which has resulted in setting up of of, uh, EPR, extended producer responsibility systems across Europe. Um, I think in the situation we are today, uh, I can say that uh, at least we have solved the 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 issue of the logistical issue of of tyre recycling in the sense that uh, tyres have become available for recycling. Uh, And I think that has mainly to do also with the uh, implementation of the. Extended Producer Responsibility systems uh, across uh, across Europe. Of course, these are national directives, and uh, all the, every nation has its uh, has its own. And there are some uh, free markets still left, but the Extended Producer Responsibility system has really helped in in, in driving uh, EOT management and, and collection logistically speaking forward. So, if we go to the next slide, I think here you see it a little bit in the in the in the collection and treatment rates uh, trends in the last 20 years, where. Uh, back in the 1990s, uh, a lot was still unknown or, or landfill. Uh, t- today, we are collecting uh, old tires and, and treating old tires. Treatment, of course, means, uh, in this sense, material recovery, uh, granulation, etc., and energy energy recovery. Uh, tire drive fuels, where uh, the tires are put into the into the uh, mainly into the into the cement industry. And some material fractions are being reused in the in the in the, in the cement production. And um, if you go into the figures for now for two thousand nineteen, uh, EOT arising is about about three and a half million, uh, of, of which two million is about uh, is is uh, is material recycling. If you look, at it is about fifty two percent of the of the pie. Now um, yeah, we we do see a little bit of a trend breach from two thousand eighteen to two thousand nineteen in the sense that we are. Uh, sending a little bit more tyres to uh, towards energy recovery instead of uh, instead of material recycling, uh, but the more positive developments is that the the unknown stocks is being uh, is really much uh, reduced. So we are treating at least uh, the, a lot a lot a lot of the tyres and. Uh, stockpiling a little bit bit less. Civil engineering has has increased a little bit, uh, but these are the the, the smaller applications, of course. The the main main application is material recycling. Um, And yeah, we have a treatment rate uh, of about 95% uh, 95%, uh, of uh, -of end-of-life tires. Uh, Next slide, please. Uh, looking at the, the 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 material recycling market, or at least what we know of it, uh, we have the, the 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 graph to the right, which of course you are familiar with. I think uh, 2019 data have been updated recently. Uh, I think most of, most of the applications are quite stable. Uh, also, the synthetic turf uh, turf market. I think uh, sometimes it's said that there a sharp decrease, but. Yeah given uh, given the numbers we have to where we have today we see that even that market is also very very stable uh, and here also you see that the the the, the, the undetermined fraction, which was a little bit high in the past is now uh, now being is now uh, also going down a lot so we know a little bit more about what is happening uh with, with the material re- recycling market today as well uh, next slide please and then if we go into the uh into the into the state of today and and, and how we are, how we are looking at the future i think this this, this slide is uh, this, this picture is very nice uh always a little bit provocative as well but i think in 2002 we had the ban on the landfill at that point in time energy recovery was the the main uh material uh, part um when the epr systems were, were set up uh, the tires were uh, collected and they became available for uh processing for recycling uh which enabled also the the, the establishment of the of the mechanical processing mechanical recycling market uh and that and we are there now and we see now that some of the paralysis and even devulization uh initiatives are coming up of course paralysis, we have been talking about this maybe for 20 years and we've seen a lot of things popping up uh no unfortunately no commercially uh, viable, uh, setups have been, been there. And this, this process, I think this, uh, picture does not show that process is better than mechanical pro- processing or deproconization. It shows a little bit of what we need in the end, uh, in the, in the, in the future to really close the loop as it were. Uh, of course we have the, we have the tire in its, in its surface life. Uh, we have extension of the service life in the form of retreading. And after that, it becomes, uh, becomes available for recycling. And we have the extension of the material life uh, in all these material recycling uh, markets and, and, and processes. Um, but of course, at the end, we also need a sort of exit of the market and uh, of the material. And in that sense, chemical recycling, whether it be paralysis or um is, is really the, 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 the next step in, 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 in closing, closing the loop. Um, but they cannot also they can also not exist uh, without the mechanical recycling and processing. Um, most of the time, especially for 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 the EOT treatment market, um, yeah, the rubber granulates of course are input material into paralysis and into big But we are we needed. We need also the establishment of a professional and mature recycling market to uh, to uh, establish and to advance these new types of, uh, in the sense of, of, of new developments, uh, to accelerate them towards towards the future. And I think if we, if we, if we are there and we have this parallel to the organization together with the mechanical processing, and of course, there will always be a need for some energy recovery. We uh, really have closed to the loop. But and, uh, next picture, please. Of course, when we are talking about uh, mechanical recycling, uh, EOT derived materials. We are always uh, having to address the, at least the perception issues we have around the, the, the human health uh, aspect of, of, of these EOT derived materials. To that end, uh, also working together with a lot of stakeholders in the recycling uh, recycling industry, uh, we have set up the uh, the, uh, the study um, uh, with the goal of of of, of Really looking at everything in in what is what is in the tires, and substances, and addressing all those substances in, in terms of of, uh, of the risk assessment. Um, yeah, with the goal of ending this discussion once and for all and having this defini- uh, sort of definitive study in that sense. Um, well, with, uh, of course, this, uh, uh, this this study concluded there are no relevant health problems. Uh, in, the, in the use of the material in the sports fields so, or, or production facilities or in mean, the construction of these you know, of these fields um, for, the, for the for those who are not are not familiar with these uh, these articles they have been uh, they' have been uh, published in peer-reviewed uh, journals uh, via these following links and on the next slide I think just to recap a little bit, um, rubber recycling is a front runner in the circular economy of Europe. I think that uh, we have some very uh, professional and uh, established industry in the recycling market. We have uh, established uh, markets for the end material, in in, I and mean, the most into the, into the mines is always the artificial turf infill, of course. Um, but we need to take advantage uh, of the situation we are in. We, we are one of the one of the leaders in the circular economy and we need to be we need to stay there and accelerate and work towards the next maturity step in closing the loop and of course um, from the EOT management perspective uh, as i may always uh, welcome a new partnership in, in the initiatives to advance the circular markets uh, for uh, for the end- of-life tires and i see that the camera has come up so i'm i'm very 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 well, very well in time so that's my that's my that's my contribution today, and looking forward to all your
4: questions, of course.
0: Thank you, Ms. van Gelder, and, and yeah, beautifully in time there. Um, we next have our presentation from Mr. Rahad as a tire recycler. What is your take on this issue?
5: Thank you very much, Kira. And uh, thank you very much for the previous presentations, which has been very interesting. Uh, let me continue from what Alex just told us uh, before I start my, my, uh, my little speak about life cycle assessment of uh, end-of-life tires. As you heard from Alex, uh, there are two main disposal routes of uh, ELTs in Europe today. Uh, we have the mechanical recycling and we have the uh, energy recovery, uh, mostly done by co-incineration in cement kilns. Uh, mechanical recycling, a little bit larger than, than co-incineration, but those are the two main disposal routes. And of course, it's, uh, it's an obvious idea in the light of the circular economy uh, viewpoints and sustainability viewpoints Now to look at uh, what are the environmental and climate impacts of these two main disposal routes. And could I have the next slide, please? And, of, and, and in, in this context, we, we, we use life cycle assessment as the most common tool. And what is uh, life cycle assessment? I'm, I'm sure most of you listening to this uh, presentation already know about life cycle assessment. But let me just uh, underline that uh, a life cycle assessment study, it determines and assesses all known environmental and climate related impacts of a specific choice for a given product. So to take the example from today, we have a one-out tire in our hands and we had the choice of taking this tire into a material recycling plant, producing, for instance, uh, infill for artificial turf or, on the other hand, to take the tire into a cement kiln and use the and and recover the energy from that tire and also use the steel and, and the ashes from this process. Now, uh, this is a specific choice, and the life cycle assessment study will help us to determine what are the environmental and climate aspects of that particular choice. And uh, these life cycle assessment can, of course, help policymakers and civil servants to make science-based decisions. We all know about, and we heard previously about from from, uh, Enrique all the actions that are done today in Europe. It is really uh, fantastic work that is being done by by the EU on all these different uh, actions uh, under the umbrella of the Circular Economy Action Plan. Um, And of course, in order to set out a strategy, life cycle assessment is a very, very important tool in order to determine uh, what will be the effects of a particular strategy? So, the use of LCAs can help policymakers, civil servants, et cetera, to make these science based decisions on what way to go. And a very important thing about uh, life cycle assessment studies is, of course, to do these studies properly. Uh, so, they have to be prepared by independent and renowned institutes in compliance with all the current standards that are available and, of course, consequently, uh, subsequently be peer-reviewed by other independent experts. In a moment, I will give you some results from a, from a study that is commissioned by us in Genan. Uh, so we have paid for the study, but we have uh, given uh, Force Institutes in, and ifo in Germany, Force Institute in Denmark, ifo industry in Germany, the uh, free hands to do this study. Uh, And afterwards, it it has been peer-reviewed by other independent uh, scientists. The reason that we commission such kind of studies is, of course, that we consider ourselves as a responsible company, and we also have the responsibility of analyzing uh, what are the consequences, uh, from a climate and environmental point of view, of the products, recycled products, that we are placing on the market. And please take note of the the bottom line, which says that uh, this full uh, LCA report is available on that particular webpage, in the URIK webpage, where you can find all details. It's a big report. And of course, if anybody here listening to to my presentation here would like to ask uh, questions, they are very welcome to do so. But you can find the full report and study it. Next slide, please. Now, what we do here, as I said in the beginning, there are two uh, the, the most common uh, disposal routes for end-of-life tires in, in Europe today. Uh, we, have, uh, we have material recycling and co-incineration in cement kilns. And when you make a life cycle assessment, it's not just enough to say what kind of technology, like for instance, uh, material recycling that we are doing. You also have to look at that particular uh, application that the product is used for. And in this, uh, in this study, we will be looking at the most common application for uh, the use of uh, rubber from um, uh, material recycled tires which is infill in artificial turf. We just saw that from Alex before, that the infill was the top line and still the most common application uh, of use of rubber from ELTs. Of course, these results have to be representative for the whole of, of EU, and uh, and we have used this common application, which is the Inter. We have updated our all information about uh, material recycling technology and also cement kiln technology. Next slide, please. To do a life cycle system system, it is very important to set up the system boundaries first. What are you really looking at? And here you can see a traditional scheme where these system boundaries are set up. Uh, To the left, you see uh, the material recycling route where we produce rubber granular, we produce steel, we produce the textile fraction, which is, as a matter of fact, a residual fraction. It consists of both rubber and textile. And then there is a little bit of other uh, wastes, which mostly is uh, kind of rubble that are sitting into the tiles, small stones, et cetera. And uh, in order to make these, uh, these products, these uh, secondary raw materials, they substitute uh, virgin materials, which will be other kind of rubbers that would be otherwise used for the production of the uh, infill material for, uh, for artificial turf, and uh, steel that will replace virgin uh, steel, and textile, which currently is the only of these fractions that are being incinerated. On the right-hand side, you see the roots in the cement kilns, where you uh, combust the components and you avoid energy sources, and you also avoid uh, uh, things like, uh, you can use the steel in the in the cement uh, clinker mass together with the ashes from the process. Next slide, please. Uh, in this study, we researched 16 different impact categories. Obviously, the one that is short Far the most about will be the climate change one uh, that where we have very, very concrete targets in the EU today and in most uh, and in all the member states as well. But also fifteen other impact categories has been researched, like for instance, acidification, uh, acid rain, as you know, but also you can see all the other there. and you can read about the details for the results of all these different uh, impact categories. So this is not just a matter about climate change, greenhouse gases, but also many other impacts, environmental impacts. Next slide, please. So if we're going back to the previous slide, we saw that uh, for each tons of tires that is is directed into uh, into the material recycling route, using the rubber for infill material for artificial turf, Instead of uh, co in the cement kiln, for each ton, the climate will be spared uh, the emission of minimum 700 kilos of carbon dioxide uh, emissions. So let's look at look about what would be what could be the potential upside. How can, how could we do more to circular economy? How could we do more to uh, reduction of uh, of the carbon footprint? And uh, as we also saw from the Presentation from Alex: More than one million billion uh, tons of tyres, are today uh, co-incinerated in, in cement kilns in Europe today. So yeah, that is what I would call a low-hanging fruit to have a, as most as this of this volume materially recycled instead of co-incinerated. But that's that's a very low-hanging fruit. So that's definitely a potential upside we have today, and that would save the environment for if we. If we Take figure of one million tons of tires, uh, the emission of 700,000 tons of carbon dioxide emissions. Next slide, please. Uh, then, of course, we have downsides also, because uh, as some of the previous speakers also mentioned, uh, there is a current discussion going on about a potential, a possible ban of infill in artificial turf, which we have just seen is the largest market, and it takes 527,000 tons of end-of-life tires uh, to produce the amount of rubber that is used today in this market. Uh, these tires will most likely, if if the ban will be in effect, these tires have to go somewhere else. And uh, today, the only option we really have is t- to let it go to, for instance, co-incineration. But even that is a problem because uh, this, the cement uh, kilns they have a de- decreasing demand of uh, of tyre fuel for the cement kilns. So that would be difficult. Other options would be to export for incineration, or even that, if that's not possible either, uh, it could be, for instance, uh, uh, incineration of the tyres without energy recovery. And and we are talking at uh, quite, uh, quite a big amount of carbon dioxide, uh, carbon dioxide emissions, that in that event would be further released. Next one, please. So really, what scenario to choose? You know, more recycled tyres, of course, means that we 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 have less carbon dioxide emitted into the atmosphere. So let's take some of the choices that will make benefits here, instead of choices that will that will uh, that will worsen the situation and and take tyres away from recycling. On the other hand, of course, we know that the question is not as simple as that. There are, of course, very very valid reasons that the the EU commissions today are looking at the the spread of microplastics or infill material from artificial turf, and we are not at all in favor of that. On the other hand, we are in favor of setting up uh, risk management measures in order to avoid this spread, and I can see that the next speaker on the program will deal with that idea. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. And yes, our next speaker will be looking into that. Our next speaker is Mr. Cox. You've looked at the impact of risk management measures on the infill sector. What's your approach to using recycled material from tyres?
6: Thank you, Kira. Good afternoon, everybody. Thanks, Europe, for giving me the chance to speak. Uh, I'm Alistair Cox, Technical Director at the European Synthetic Turf Council. We represent all players in the synthetic turf market the manufacturers of the surfaces the people who build the fields the people who maintain the fields the users of the fields and eventually the end-of-life disposal companies Uh, synthetic turf is not a new product it is 55 years old the first facility was built in 1966 and this year we'll see the 45th anniversary of synthetic turf being used at an olympic games However, it was the development in the early 2000s of the long pile surfaces with the granular infill that really led to a significant growth in the market as those types of surfaces proved to be acceptable for football, rugby and other sports traditionally played on natural turf fields. Uh, The surfaces provide safe, durable playing areas that can be used extensively, seven days a week, 52 weeks of the year, uh, an estimate suggests that one synthetic turf field can typically accommodate the use of between four and six natural turf fields. So in many parts of the uh, continent, they really are the only viable alternative uh, option available. Urban areas, parts of Europe where the climate doesn't encourage or allow natural grass to grow uh, readily. They're also much cheaper to maintain Uh, easier to maintain and don't require water or the use of chemicals, etc. So there's some environmental benefits there as well. Typically, estimates suggest there are over 30,000 full-size fields now in Europe and a smaller number of uh, mini-fields, typically being used by 30 players an hour, just under 2,000 hours per year, which means over 1 billion playing hours people having fun and exercise using synthetic surfaces. So they clearly have many benefits to society uh, in terms of health, inclusion, exercise, etc. Thank you. Next slide. In terms of ELT granulate, we actually used these materials in two different ways. Um, increasingly we are seeing rubber underlayers being laid beneath the synthetic turf carpet on top of the stone foundation. This is what we call a shock pad. It provides the protection to the athletes as they run and fall on the surface. Uh, Most commonly, using two to four millimeter granular and a polyurethane binder, they are laid with a paving machine and they replace an asphalt or macadam layer to provide a shock absorbing stable base. And typically between 60 and 100 tons of granulate going into a full size field. And that type of construction is used for a multitude of different sports from field hockey to soccer to rugby, um, most of the sports using full size fields. And secondly, as as we've heard a lot about today is the infill used in the the synthetic turf fields where typically we're using a 0.5 to 3 millimeter granular and anything between 60 and 120 tons per field. And as we heard earlier, the industry is now currently using about half a million tonnes of infill per year. If we add in the granulate for the shot pads, we're probably taking about 600,000 kilos of infill, uh, 600,000 tonnes per per year of granulate going into the sports sector. Thank you. Next slide. We recognise fully, and we've become very aware over the last few years, that we are using a combination of a synthetic turf made out of plastics and granulate, um, generally made out of polymers. We do also use virgin uh, rubbers, EPDMs, TPEs, etc. As I've mentioned, primarily a lot of ELC. We clearly therefore have an obligation to ensure that the surfaces that we are producing do not cause a threat to human health or the environment, and that's key to everything that ESTC is trying to achieve with its members, thank you. Uh, We heard briefly about the PAH concerns and the work that was undertaken with uh, the European Chemical Agency and subsequently going through the the European Commission and European uh, Parliament. Uh, We fully supported the, the draft restriction and the limit that was proposed and is hopefully about to be adopted. And to support that, we lobbied and actively engaged with the European Standards Organisation to develop a code of practice defining how manufacturers of ELT, people building fields, people testing fields should sample the material to, to enable them to get representative samples to demonstrate compliance with REACH regulations and any other criteria at a national level. So that Code of Practice, EM17409, was published last year. Next slide, please. More recently, having addressed the PAH issue, we thought life might become a lot more comfortable for us again, but then the microplastics concerns were raised uh, and and our work has continued. Again, we fully acknowledge now that the uncontrolled use of ELT granulate can result in migration into the environment. I do think it's worth noting that a significant amount of this this migration that has been reported previously tends to occur in regions where they are clearing snow from the synthetic turf fields. If you pull the snow off the field, you pull the rubber out of the carpet, depending on what you do with the snow will then dictate to what happens to that rubber. Clearly in parts of Europe where snow clearance does not occur, the problem there is much less, but nevertheless, it can still be an issue. So we have worked again with the European Standards Organization to identify and define measures that can control the, the migration of that infill from the fields. And we have produced a Sen technical report, 17.519, that again was published last year uh, details all the considerations that anybody designing a field, building a field, or operating a field should take on board to try and minimise the impact or the risk of infant migration from that field. Uh, next slide, please. And the findings of that report, we have promoted uh, and worked closely with the international and European governing bodies for football, so we've worked with FIFA and UEFA, World Rugby, we- the government body for Rugby Union, the International Hockey Federation, the Gaelic Athletics Association based in Dublin, the Gaelic Sports, which are predominantly Irish sports, play on very large synthetic turf areas. One Gaelic field is approximately double the size of a typical rugby field, so it's a big area. Uh, Rugby League, which is the 13-a-side version of rugby, played in some European countries, and a number of national sports governing bodies and federations. Um, The guidelines, which I'll go through in a little more detail in a second, have now been adopted by all of these federations. We also commissioned an independent study by uh, an environmental consultancy based in Stockholm to review the literature to determine how effective all these different measures could be in controlling migration of the infill from the fields. Next slide, please. And the key headline figures and items that we've identified are shown in this slide. So, as I say, approximately 50 percent of all migration from a field, if you start with the worst case figures, which is the starting point that ECHA used in justifying the need for a potential ban, snow removal accounts for 48 percent of the problem. So if you don't have snow removal, you have your problem automatically. If you do have snow removal, you need to ensure that you store the contaminated snow correctly so that when snow falls in the spring, the rubber is contained and can be reused and is not not allowed to escape into the environment. If you fit barriers around the fields, you can make a significant reduction stopping that infill again getting blown out carried out from the perimeters of the field into the surrounding neighborhood Uh, and the studies are showing that will reduce typically on a field by a further 131 kilos per year which is making a significant reduction and just as a side note increasingly the panels being used to create these barriers are actually produced from end of life synthetic turf. Which has been recycled, processed and turned into plastic panels. So a circular economy, been adopted wherever possible. Uh, Working through, if you put filters into all of the drains, you can capture the small amount of infill that might get directly washed into the water courses. If you put decontamination brushes and grates at the entrances, the players can knock the infill off their clothing. If you ensure that the fields are maintained responsibly, wherever possible, you keep the maintenance equipment adjacent to the field, you can reduce the impact significantly. So overall, we we have established you can get a 98% improvement on that worst case figure. Next slide, please. Um, We are in the process of developing European standards, both for the qualities of the infill materials themselves, and that will be all infill materials, including ELT, assuming we can continue to use it, but also the shop pads that will use ELT, as as I previously mentioned. Next slide, please. Uh, We are about to publish a guide which will detail how synthetic turf fields should be disposed of at the end of their life. They typically last about 10 years, and then they need to be disposed of responsibly, and we're providing guidance on that. And we've worked closely with URIC in developing that document. Uh, next slide, please. And I think finally, we are part of a pilot project being run by the European Commission to develop product environmental footprint category rules. We are developing a PEF category rules for synthetic turf systems that will allow all manufacturers to demonstrate the LCA credentials of their products in a compatible way to allow clarity to be brought to the market. So in conclusion, um, ELT materials form a valuable component of the synthetic surf surfaces. We actively support innovation and applications that endorse the the principles of the circular economy. uh, And All of our members are recognising and actively working towards towards developing sustainable sports surfaces. And we thank uh, everybody who participates with us in developing those objectives, thank you.
0: Thank you, Mr. Cox. Now, Ms. Vitaly, what is the NGO approach to this subject?
7: Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for having invited DEB uh, to this session, to this talk. My name is Elise Vitelli, as mentioned. I'm working for DEB. Um, DEB is uh, Europe's largest network of environmental citizens organization. We are an NGO based in Brussels. We have um 171 members throughout Europe, that is uh, in 36 countries. Uh, we've been existing for over 40 years and we work on a variety of issues, including chemicals, which will interest us today, but also uh, biodiversity, water, climate, global and, and EU policies. Um, We also work, um, uh, still on the previous slide, uh, we also work uh, in collaboration with um, coalition and actually with alliances. For instance, uh, here, the Rithing Plastic Alliance, which is uh, an alliance of 10 uh, leading European NGOs uh, working to to fight plastic pollution uh, through EU policies. We are also part of the global break from plastic movement consisting uh, of individuals, but also um, NGOs and groups uh, worldwide. So we're acting within uh, within this scheme. Um, looking into the restriction of uh, microplastics, uh, this has not been mentioned before, so I'm taking just a few seconds to um, further explain how the, the restriction is structured. There are three steps to it. Um, The first one is a prohibition, a ban on the placing on the market. Uh, There is also a proposal to have mandatory labelling and also to have instructions for use and disposal. There is a third element of it, which is uh, a mandatory reporting. And so today what will interest us is um, this first element, which is actually the ban and the prohibition on the market. Um, next one, please. Uh, this is just an overview, a timeline um, to to focus on, on the policy, but I guess um, it's not specifically relevant to go too much into the details today as we are still waiting actually for um, the Commission to make its proposal. So I would suggest to go to the next slide where actually uh, I can tell you a bit more about what we are asking uh, because we have um, developed demands uh, which are included in our position paper and um, a two-page briefing uh, which will appear on the slides. Um, Thank you. Um, So what we are asking in these two documents that were developed uh, by NGOs as uh, part of this coalition that I mentioned earlier uh, is an ambitious restriction of microplastics. And so we are looking at the whole file not only um, into granular infill, and also taking the step back, not only looking at one problematic use, but looking at the whole group approach that has been taken by EU authorities. And so we are asking the Commission and the Member States uh, to have an ambitious proposal to restrict microplastics, and actually that derogations should not be accepted, except when they are based on reliable and strong evidence uh, considered by the Risk Assessment Committee, RAC, and SEAC, the Socioeconomic Economic Assessment Committee. These are the, the committees of ECA that have looked carefully into the proposal uh, made by uh, the institution. One of the conclusions um, is that microplastics pose an unacceptable risk to the environment and that there are potential consequences on human health. On the derogation um, issue, what we're asking, uh, basically not uh, to accept derogations when they are not justified, is not only an NGO view. This is a legal requirement from REACH, this is case law, and this is also aligned uh, with uh, the ambition of the chemical strategy for sustainability towards um, a toxic environment. So we can zoom in into the restriction of granular infill. Our perspective on that is uh, that at the European level, um, granular infill is the largest contributor for uses and releases to the environment when talking about intentionally added microplastics, which is the the scope of this restriction. there are different estimates, but at least in the, this dossier, there is a central estimate uh, for the releases to 16,000 tons per year uh, released to the environment. That means a release factor of 16%. And so, based on that, um, a restriction has been proposed uh, with two options. An option one with a ban after uh, a three year transition period, if uh the, the 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 infill is retained on the pitch there is also a derogation in case uh, the pitch is released less than seven grams per scripture um, and so that would be uh, this derogation there is a second option which is the option b that proposes a ban after a six-year uh, transition period and um before i'm continuing to uh, th- exposing our position um i need to give you um uh, an, a, a warning that as you see this proposal is not and has never been about banning uh, the way we play sports the way we exercise and it's not about uh, uh banning the fields per se it is about looking into what is problematic on this field uh, fields and actually in this case uh, the the granules so um Our position is that the ban with a six-year transition period is the best option. This is the option B that is proposed. Because of the high impacts on the environment of the uh, the infield, so not only uh, the fragmentation of the infield, the risks of uh, um, the the infield to end up in the environment, the Ecotoxicological risks also of the infield to be found in the rivers around the pitches as mentioned earlier also in the snow uh, and the snow removal we think um, the ban is the best option when it comes to alternative um, they are existing at the moment and this is the world uh, the word sorry that I'm using here they exist uh, the market indeed has to be more harmonized and developed. And this is why we think the six-year transition period is an appropriate uh, way to to get to to this objective of having um, more availability of these existing alternatives. And basically, this restriction is a sign for the market. I heard earlier um, requests to have signals, signs for a clear uh, legal framework and pathway. Well, actually, this development of the restriction of microplastics is a clear sign for the market to adapt to other alternatives which are uh, existing, but that need to be developed. Um, The ban is also the most effective measures and uh, measure. This was also one of the conclusions of uh, the risk assessment. So that's why the sixth year, again, is sending this, uh, this clear message. On uh, the risk management measures, we also um, want to highlight that the burdens will likely fall on the communities, the municipalities, to uh, maintain these um, this technical um, uh, settlement, uh, basically, and this will have also uh, economic costs on the municipalities and, and the communities also for certain risk management measures there's a lot of focus on the, the user behavior for us uh, the use of rubber infill so SBR or recycling of tires as rubber infill is not a circular nor a sustainable use um, from a chemicals uh, perspective point of view because of the leakages to the environment um this could serve as a conclusion but um the ECA concluded that there is no acceptable amount of leakage into the environment when it comes to microplastics. And actually, it is not a question of if a threshold uh, or if a limit will be reached when it comes to having too many microplastics in the environment, but rather when that limit will be reached. And this is where we stand when we support this position. Also, and and finally, um, What is at stake is the persistence uh, of the the polymers in question, but also uh, the other effects that are also listed in in this opinion and the other adverse effects um, of microplastics. I think I've overstepped a bit uh, the the boundaries of my time, so I will stop here. Thank you for your attention uh, and looking forward to, to the exchange.
0: Thank you, Ms Patelli. And finally, we have our last panellist. Ms Maget, you're looking into the future for tyre recycling and new innovative methods for this. What is your approach to this topic, please?
8: Thank you, Kyra. First of all, thank you for inviting me and present here today. Um, Tyre Recycling Solution was founded in 2013 with uh, the mission to transform the waste tyre into sustainable and valuable materials. So today, what I'd like to do with you is um, offer you our perspective on on the challenges and opportunities uh, for the circular economy. I won't spend too much time on this slide. Uh, We've seen it before, you know, the goal is to increase recycling, reuse. Uh, Recycling has been, quite frankly, a bit stagnating uh, over the last years, and uh, it's gonna be even a, a greater challenge after the, a few talk and especially the last one, we we heard uh, if uh, 30% of the material recovery route is, is at risk. Next, please. Another reason why we, we should really be more interested in recycling materials is that uh, uh, just looking at natural rubber and um, as a critical raw material and, and how much is required in Europe going forwards. I mean, 2020 was a down year, but... Uh, the projections are that uh, the demand for natural rubber, which is an important resource uh, and can a resource that can also be at risk uh, through diseases, for example, is uh, is uh, a fact also to consider when uh, looking at recycling. next slide, please. So the way we look at this is uh, really, we have a, an opportunity. There is 3.5 million tires, uh, ELT tires collected. We have seen that also from the ETRMA numbers. And uh, if we put that in perspective, also there is also 3.7 million tons of uh, natural rubber and synthetic rubber consumed mm-hmm. in the EU. So really uh, by recycling, we can really make a difference by recycling efficiently and effectively, we can make a difference. So in this chart, uh, I'm sharing a a study that uh, we TRS made over uh, the period of 2016 and 2020. So what we did is is we look at more than 20 different, no, sorry, more than a dozen of uh, end user, potential end use for, for rubber powder. Our market is rubber powder. And uh, we didn't consider in-field, by the way. So we looked at these uh, 12 or, or more uh, different markets and in this process interviewed more than 800 uh, potential customers. And then we came up with, uh, with a ranking or a matrix of how to, to prioritize these markets. So um, on the left-hand side, you have the attractiveness of, of each of these markets versus the potential volume that you can sell. Uh, in those markets. Uh, attractiveness for us was determined by such factors as regulation, if they are favorable, um, and the time to market, for example, the, the technical differentiation we can achieve, etc. So what came out of this whole main study is that in, in effect there is a lot of niche markets um, for uh, recycled rubber, but there are actually two markets that really stand out if we want to come with alternative to infill market, for example, to the size of of the infill market. And these two markets are either asphalt or tires. Next, please. So um, I'd like to focus uh, first on the tire market. I'm not sure I'm going to have enough time to talk about the asphalt market. In any case, In the tire market today, I don't have any official figures, or I don't think there is any published figures. From my conversation or our conversation with the tire manufacturers and and from different sources, I believe that if you look at all the tire manufacturers in Europe and you consider the whole tire, not just one part of the tire, there is not more than two to three percent recycled material in the tire. And this is uh, this is quite low, actually, uh, and not uh, a very good result. Why is that? Well, first of all, there are technical challenges, and, and it's a perform- performance. You have all seen the, the famous triangle, which is now moving to uh, first an uh, uh, hexagon. So more and more requirements put on the tyre, which are which are difficult to meet also for recycled material. tyre manufacturer asks for material consistency, There is a very long approval process, which is uh, therefore costly. The pricing is an issue because there is a history of, um, unfortunately, our industry offering very cheap material, especially material coming from China, India, and they have created uh, a reference point, which which is uh, difficult to go over when we talk to tire manufacturers, a certain type of tire manufacturer. And last but not least, almost every um, tire manufacturer has more than one plant and needs at least, uh, if not global, at least regional availability of, of these uh, materials because they do spend a lot of time approving them. There's a lot of compounds and they don't really want to, to use uh, different sources. So that's posed really a lot of challenge for us. Tire- in the recycling industry to meet all these requirements there are opportunities though i think opportunities through innovation uh, and partnership with the industry being with tire manufacturer or as we do in TRS for example uh, partnering with a synthetic rubber manufacturer to advance uh, on, on the r&d side on, on the innovation front to to offer better materials Material selection um, is is a must for tires. I think uh, this will of course create a little bit more cost for the recycler. but to have a stable and consistent material, you need to select your material. We need to move to a value based setting because it's it's no way we can offer all this you know uh, consistent quality, rich compliance, uh, global availability if if you don't you cannot comment. A certain price for your material which is no longer a filler but it is really a performance material and to that end a minimum recycled content required for the industry would be absolutely welcome and i think it would serve well the tire industry because in my opinion it will also attract investment Uh, Our industry is struggling to find investors, although there is a lot of money around today in in the private equity. And this type of uh, um, direction and and movement would create much more uh, money flowing our way to create these new solutions. Last but not least, I think we also need innovative business models. And this is to to speak about the global availability. Uh, As you know, the industry is very fragmented, especially in Europe. Of course, there is a, a, a big uh, big player, not to name it today, but even this big player is not able to to serve uh, customer globally yet. So uh, we also need innovative uh, business models. So just one example. Next slide, please. This is the, the route that uh, TRS is proposing, is that um, we're actually licensing our technology to existing recyclers. And... Um, if they apply correctly, our technology, and uh, we impose quality criteria and also I mean check if the material is uh, regulatory from a regulatory point of view uh, still conform. We do off-take agreements with the recyclers and we have the, the, uh, the contact with, with the end user. So that would be one way to, to create a global availability for, for materials. But uh, I'm sure there are also potentially other business models we could consider. Next slide please. Um, besides the market specific uh, challenges that uh, are put forward to develop further the circular economy, I'd like to, uh, to mention REACH. I mean, a lot of the speakers have mentioned REACH. Uh, yes, we want to be REACH compliant, but I think the risk reward has to be balanced and uh, you know all, all these materials that are in the tires they have been
9: uh,
8: reach approved or reach compliant before entering the tire at least for European tires so I think this should be considered and not place an unduly uh, burden uh, that could be very expensive for for us uh, involved in, in the recycling another hurdle which uh, which is uh, very time-consuming and very resource-consuming is is the movement of goods in Europe or around Europe to to export circular materials because of of the unclear rules with regard to HS codes. I do also believe that uh, the gate fee practices, they were very good initially because the focus was on collecting tires and processing tires. But I think we need to rethink them and put more emphasis and and more incentive for tire recyclers to, to create innovative solutions and uh, use these funds to develop new markets. The challenges also is the industry fragmentation, and I see that from a tire manufacturer point of view, they see a lot of small players, and it's it's kind of a risk for them to go with one specific one, even that player might offer a good enough solution. This is a risk, also it, it is sourcing risk. So these are the, the challenges that uh, we are confronted with. There are opportunities. I'm very happy to see that uh, there is a movement towards uh, Europe-wide end of waste criteria, and I sincerely hope that um, you know, the, the, the waste stream tires will be prioritized. That would tremendously help us. We would need also um, a specific HS code for circular material that would avoid a lot of headache. Um, okay, the, the gate fee I already discussed and uh, minimum recycle content requirement as well. Don't know if I have enough time to cover the, the next slide which is, yes, just about, or am, am I off time? Kira? Please keep going. Okay, so the challenges in the rubberized asphalt market, I would say they are partially self-inflicted, unfortunately. There has been a lot of uh, products offered to the industry in the past, and there is not one country we've been to which when we meet road owners or public administration, they have a horror study to tell us about um, the use of uh, crumb rubber in asphalt. So we we need to get much more professional in that. It's it's also a technology, it's a technical product. We need also to learn how to go to market. It's a uh, multi-faceted ecosystem approach, you need to approach uh, The public administration, at the same time, promote your technology to asphalt contractors and uh, lobby towards the, the regulation, the regulator, local regulator, every country is a different case. And another big issue is, uh, unfortunately, despite having been 40 years in this market, uh, rubber asphalt has started uh, already in the 60s, uh, end of 70s in in the US. Unfortunately, there is a very much lack of uh, good monitoring data, long-term monitoring data, because this is what will make the difference at the eyes of uh, of public administrator and road owners is you have to show them the data, you have to show them that your road is going to be lasting longer, it's going to be sustainable, it's not going to leach, etc. And, and there is a, a real lack of this data. And last but not least, uh, to some extent, we are replacing other materials in, uh, in asphalt. And of course, the, those replaced materials, they will not go away without a fight. And we have in front of us strong industry lobbies, especially in, in some countries. So that's the challenges we have to face. There are ways to... And there, there is light at the end of the tunnel, I think, because there are specifications that we can leverage in, in several countries now. Uh, we need more, more professional approach and uh, the Green Deal hopefully will also help us. Okay, and I'm looking forward then to to discuss all this in the panel discussion. Thank you very much for, for your attention.
0: Thank you. We have had some really insightful uh, presentations from all of our panelists now, so we can move on to our, our Q&A. And I think the uh, proposal from the European Chemicals Agency has been sort of the, uh, the in the spotlight today. And the first question we have comes from that. I'll ask it to you, Ms. Nura. Um do the particulate emissions from tyres, uh, due to during uh, due to wear during usage, come under the scope of the proposed EU ban on deliberately added microplastics, Mr. Narap, what's your take on that? So, uh,
4: I think a lot has been um, has been said today about uh, this topic. I don't know if the tyre industry is the best placed uh, stakeholder to give its perspective there, but I think a lot has been said. And for example. I want to come back to also what uh, the lady from AEB said, Eliza. She has uh, presented some facts and, and data there. Well, today um, this, that the use of uh, infield material in this and the fact that this this material leaves the field is, I have to say, not specific to the rubber material, to the rubber granulate. I think this is this is a well recognized phenomenon. Maybe the figures we are. I don't think we have time to ch- to discuss the figures, but I understand that the figures used by uh, by ECA at this first assessment were a bit maybe not totally correct. I saw from the ESTC Alistair Cox data that the loss, when there are proper risk management measures, the loss may be around two grams per square meter. This would represent if we have 30,000 um, uh, fields in Europe more or less something around sixty kilo, something like that, as as, as material lost. That that would be just a brave but I mean I'm not a mathematician, so it's very, very rough calculation. I'm sure that Alistair can can provide a better figure. So we believe that uh, the use of rubber infill, because the the quality and the performance of this product has been now demonstrated. What Sonia uh, Sunia said, she said that the material selection in tires is a must. It is true you use in the tires the best of all the raw materials, the best of all of them. In the end, this material doesn't lose its properties when the tire reaches its end of life. So the material indeed has a possibility to be reused in other very sustainable applications. Rubber is one of them. You know, rubberine is um, can be reused several times. And then there is still possibility to go to chemical recycling. So it's not like uh, it's it's done once and then it's over. No, I think this material can be reused uh, a number of times. So today, um, going to a full band of this uh, of this application. Uh, Again, six years or three years, is also something that uh, that doesn't really help because whether it's three years or six years, you do not invest in risk management measures when you have such a short uh, term um, in terms of investment making. So these municipalities, these, uh, these field owners will hardly invest in any risk management measures if they know that the ban will happen. So whether it's in three years or in six years means that the ban happens immediately, with immediate effect, because people, these companies, uh, municipalities and owners will indeed move to to another application. Maybe there's also a need to look at the the alternatives. Are we sure that the alternatives, do we have enough of them? As quantities, do we have, so really, are they really so good? The only real good alternative is grass, natural grass. But then I understand that uh, this is not necessarily the best place to play, and with all this comfort and pleasure that the synthetic terms have brought, maybe this is going to be also a bit short of delivery. So all in all, um, we are of the opinion that if risk management measures could be effectively enforced, and this is not our industry uh, decision where we, as car industry, we take our responsibility and the industry has taken its responsibility to understand, for example, if there is any health effect. Of using rubber in these applications, this was uh, a two-year program led by a very, uh, I think, by a consortium of consultants of which Tobik was the leader. I think the results are quite obvious and evident. They have been published. There is no harm to the players, to the workers, including children. So this has been also demonstrated. This is the European Risk Assessment Study of Rubber fee. So industry is bringing evidence and uh, and facts on the table. That should the legislator go for a ban, I think it has to be uh, proportionate. It has to be well justified. We believe that risk management measures, if properly implemented, can also um, can also meet the required the requirements. And we Thank will see you. As Commission said, the, the whole discussion is there. So yes. I'd
0: like to um, talk to you about this next, Mr. Howard. As a recycler, what would the implications of a ban on microplastics in football fields be? And when it comes to life cycle analysis parameters, do these consider the release of microplastics in the environment?
5: Yeah, the, the, question to your first, uh, the answer to your first question is that, uh, of course, in if, if, if the event that this ban will be implemented, the market will disappear. So, so less, less tires will be recycled in our plants, and uh, and and then you know you, you you can say what what will happen to the tires then, uh, and I think this is the this is the kind of information I think that is lacking completely in this discussion, uh, because I I do not see any alternatives. We have today two proven technologies uh, for end of life tire disposal in Europe. We have. The production of material uh, recycled material and we have co-generation cement kilns they are well proven they have been going on for many many years so that's what we know uh, when we talk about other kind of alternatives uh, you know some has mentioned the chemical recycling for instance pyrolysis yes we have heard about this technology in many years but no we do not see any kind of successful uh, uh enterprises about this we do not really see the markets at the moment so it's uh it's absurd to think that in in three or six years time it would be possible to to uh to, to put uh, the ties into these kind of technologies and then what is left what is left is exports for incineration somewhere else uh could be northern africa could be india or maybe, uh, maybe uh, to have the, uh, the incineration for other purposes in, in Europe. So really, you know, we are practical people working in the recycling industry, and we are looking for proven technologies and, and practical solutions. And I'm sure you know, the intentions are very, very well from NGOs and others who watch this ban. I think the intentions are exactly the same as we have, both as private people, private persons and and uh, and people in the recycling industry. We do not want to hurt the environment uh, by spreading of of anything that should not be there. But we are also practical people, and we have a very, very good solution for the use for for the circular economy with respect to tires. Uh, More than half a million tires are going into this uh, for the benefit of football players have a good solution of all the local places. So of course, the only way forward would be to implement these kind of risk management measures. That we can see from reports will have to work, and, uh, and I think that is the pragmatic solution for 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 this. A, a ban is not. It, it, the intentions are well, but it will not work. It will be worse, and it will mean less recycled tyres.
0: Thank you, Mr. Cox. Football pitches, as we saw in your your presentation, are your speciality. Um, or or, all sport field pitches. Are there alternatives to end of life tires or synthetic polymeric uh, infill that are readily available and meet the requirements of these sports federations? And what are the economic and societal costs that uh, the ban could have? I think you're on mute, we can't hear you.
6: I apologize, thank you, good question. Um, Looking at this from two perspectives. Yes, there are alternatives available. Um, Primarily organic uh, infills made from cork are most commonly being used at the moment throughout Europe. Um, However, those infills do not work in all of the climates that that are experienced across the the continent. They particularly aren't very suitable in in wet climates. They float. So if you are in parts of the world where you get heavy downpours of rain, the infill floats to the surface and then gets carried off of the water into the surrounding neighbourhood and becomes a pollutant of a different type. Secondly, they don't work in the colder climates because they absorb moisture and then they're susceptible to breaking down from, from frost. So they are an option for certain parts of Europe, the drier, warmer parts of the continent. However, there's a finite availability of those materials. And data from the cork industry shows that 97% of current production is already taken by the wine industry, by the building industry, by other sectors. And a cork tree takes 25 years to mature before you can harvest the bark to make the cork. So we can't just go out and plant a lot more cork trees. Um, Additionally, obviously cork growth is predominantly Portugal, Spain, southern Europe, the transportation issues of moving vast quantities of cork from southern Europe to northern Europe need to be considered from an environmental perspective. Using no infill at all, or using purely sand, which has been tried and is, is being undertaken in one or two European countries, results in surfaces that have less positive playing characteristics. They won't satisfy the criteria set by FIFA, World Rugby and the other sports governing bodies. And those criteria are primarily addressing two issues. One is they want the fields to play like good quality natural grass. That's what the football players, the rugby players want. They don't want to play on something that is very different and Football players have a long memory and remember the bad experiences of playing on plastic turf in the 1980s, particularly in England where pretty poor quality synthetic turf was introduced to the old English First Division and that actually led to a ban throughout the whole of Europe on those surfaces being used at the professional game. Secondly, they want to ensure player welfare, player safety and the probability of players suffering carpet burns increases when you are sliding purely on a plastic carpet as opposed to a carpet with infill. So yes, there are alternatives, but they are likely to have a detrimental effect on the acceptance of playing on those surfaces from players in certain parts of Europe. In some parts of Europe, they work perfectly well, and they've certainly got a role in the market, but we feel that with containment, and the measures that we've described there should be the probability of using the most appropriate types of materials to provide the facilities that communities wish to use
0: thank you and yes as someone from the uk i know all about the the cold and wet climates that you're talking about now um, mr tell you're coming at this from a different perspective there are some environmental concerns but also a need to move towards a circular economy um, I want to bring in a question from Christoph Boer here. What is the NGO, NGO position on possible consequences of the ban? Uh, what will happen with all these tires possibly ending up in landfills, um, also harming the environment and human
7: health? Thank you for this question. This is a fair question to ask in this context, um, but I'll 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 be uh, frustrating maybe, but the focus. W- I will keep it on uh, this restriction of microplastics. And what is to understand is that this is about looking at the objective- of uh, preventing the microplastics pollution into the environment. Now, when it comes to managing the tires and uh, the pollution that is created- due to um, a problem that arises from higher in the supply chain- from the design from the beginning- Uh, We know that currently not only uh, are tires problematic within this microplastic restriction, but also they are uh, the the biggest contributor to um, the the marine pollution uh, when it comes to microplastics in general, together with textiles. So this shows that there is a problem from the design from higher up in the supply chain. And of course, unsurprisingly, I will be advocating for eco-design measure, focusing on the design of the tires because we currently have a management problem. And trying to restrict the manage the issue of the management of tires to putting the tires on, on the infill or on the playgrounds is actually not seeing the picture. And I, I think a lot of you here know that, that it's not only about this share of the market, which is big indeed, but that doesn't mean that this is the right solution. Uh, as mentioned in my presentation, and this is provocative to say this year, but for us, this is not a sustainable use because of the impacts um, on the environment. And specifically, again, this restriction is looking into this. If I may say, um, well, is looking into this, is trying to prevent these impacts um, of microplastics and the so-called recycling uh, of the, the, the tires into the infill. Um, another element that I'd like to, uh, to 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 mention also is as regards the alternative, because when I talk about alternatives with people, I hear a lot about the quark. Of course, this is one of the alternatives, but uh, we have been working with uh, technical institutes and universities to develop our position. So we're not just extracting numbers here and there um, to 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 be placed and and take our position. Um, there are uh, pitches that currently do not use infill at the moment so it's not only about cork there are pitches that use other alternatives for instance in Marseille, south of france they use the olive stones and that also is suitable to to other climates uh, for cold climates uh, maybe th- there are also other solutions uh, There are he- there's hemp uh, it's not only about cork and this is something that comes up often um but it's not the, the, the only solution. So I mentioned Marseille, I can also mention uh, Hamburg who has been um, microplastic free or infill free for I think more than 10 years, if I'm not saying any mistakes, but they're not using uh, the, the, the infill. So this is where we come from when we say that there are alternatives, it's about um, sort of exporting them in other places um, in the EU. And I think I've covered um the, the the questions
0: thank you and um, as we get, one solution from the recycler side could be to look beyond football pitches for recycling tires uh, maybe looking at innovative solutions to recycling these with a focus on rubber uh, but how can you see the market for them growing? and how long could that take to really reach something which is viable Ms. Mugat, can you hear me? Yes, sorry, I didn't hear you. <laughs> you were calling me.
8: Uh, yes, so this is the 1,000 the, the francs question, or 1,000 uh, euro question. Um, how long is it going to take? Well, I think it's, it's going to go faster if uh, s- some of the measures, especially from the regulatory framework, are implemented, such as, uh, you know, minimum recycled content and also end-of-waste criteria, this, this would be a tremendous help. But I would say for asphalt, we are probably at a tipping point with this first specification. Um, it will be country-specific. Some countries will take a long time, but I can, I can see a market developing in, in some of, uh, of the countries that already adopted specification now. Whether uh, this will reach the, the 500,000 tonne, uh, uh, 500, ton, I shall say, that uh, you know, the infill market uh, has today, it's probably going to take some time, but it could. Uh, for tyre, I think it will very much depend on the tyre industry itself and uh, its commitment, however, you see that you know, Michelin, Continental, uh, Bridgestone, they all have sustainability targets, all of them. So you have to to, to think that uh, if they are serious, and I'm sure they are serious about it, recycled material will be part of this. It means also that we need to offer the right solution for them. Uh, so th- I think this will take more time, but once it develops, it, it can go very quickly because, this is a little bit the the challenge with uh, the tire industry. You have virtually zero sales today, but tomorrow if your product is accepted, you have really, really large volumes to, to satisfy. So it can uh, go from zero to hero in no time. Um, so I, I, I do think that Asfa market probably is, is riper, but uh, with the trend, in, sustainability, and continuous effort on our side to propose an innovative solution. I think there will be also a significant market developing in Europe
0: in the tyre business within the next five years. Thank you. That's- and we have another question, uh, well, two questions, which I'm going to combine. One from uh, Olivier Gaujean uh, and one from Christophe Bogart. So I'm going to send this question your way, uh, Mr. Rahaj. How much of ELT recycled rubber goes back into new tyres and how can the technological barriers be overcome to stimulate investment and innovation to really close the loop on tyres? Mr. Rahaj, what's your opinion on that?
5: I, I, I cannot give you the exact figures how much is going into tyres today, but it's very, very, very limited. It's uh, And I, I I'm, I'm sure maybe the... Our, our good friends in ETR may, maybe can give you a bigger, better uh, answer on that. Uh, it, it is very, very limited, and uh, of course, it is a very, very good way of using the rubber. Uh, but uh, uh, for the moment, and, and in the perspective uh, at this moment, is, is, is very, very little. Uh, and I, I just also want to add a comment to the to the previous uh, speaker uh, about about how quick markets can grow. Um, You know, if 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 those those kind of applications are coming up quickly, we not only have a potential 500,000 tons of tires from from infill from a band of infill to take, but we but there's also one more than one million tons that are today being incinerated, which is a less sustainable solution. So if if all these good technologies could come. Uh, why not first start to take the 1 million uh, tonnes of tyres that are going into incineration today? I think that would be a very, very obvious choice from a sustainability point of view.
0: Mr. Narat, uh, can I pass those questions over to you? Particularly, how much of end-of-life re- t- recycled tyres uh, or end-of-life tyres are recycled or rubber and go back into new tyres?
4: well i have thank you for this very good question uh from olivier Grosjean. i have responded actually on the on the chat area as well uh, so it is very 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 limited but if the technology were ready i can assure you that what sonia said going from zero to hero will happen but this maturity of the technology is not there yet uh, it is in the interest of everyone to be able to use again these resources. We talk of millions of tons of resources. So if we were able to use back again, this would have been done already. But I can assure you, everybody is looking at that. So there is research going on on that, but the challenge is still there as it was presented when the, when you look at the ladder of uh, uh, creating value and the recycling, you see that the real creation value is when we arrive to the de-organization. The organization, this is the the technology that will allow us to arrive to this, not necessarily closing the loop, but arriving to an application with the highest performance requirements. We are not there yet, but hopefully we will arrive there soon, soon, anytime in the future. But as I said, research is ongoing. The recycling industry is, and Paul is very right, he said that the recycling industry is the new mining industry. This is true. There is there millions of tons of resources to be used again for good applications. But today the tire industry is not able to increase the the quantities that can be reused again in tire applications, but there are other applications. We have very useful application in other sectors, in other products of the economy, but I'm sure that the more the more fine, the better uh, characterized recycled product, the better will be the application. And I think the whole community, the whole value chain is of course, working and towards that, making sure that the health and environmental considerations and impacts are duly taken into account.
0: Thank you. And we have one question from Susan Madlong. I'm going to put this to the whole panel, so whoever wants to answer this, please come in paralysis is currently the centre of everyone's attention however the quantities of material that can be processed do not come close to the quantities the mechanical tyre recyclers deal with uh, what should be done with the rest of end-of-life tyres is the eu striving for more energy recovery or expert, uh, export who wants to come in on that one please maybe i can start as i'm, as I'm having there so
4: you know uh, when the tire industry started looking uh, proactively at the ELT management this was something like uh, since mid 90s well before uh, the legislation was even in place on the, on the landfill it is natural to burn tires it's natural to use tires in, in energy because it's made of it it's made of oil it's made of material that is really of high quality by the way oil. <laughs> and, and, and really carbon black and oil on there over time, we have seen that thanks to the support of, uh, of also these management companies and producer responsibility obligations, um, recycling applications and recycling has taken off, and now it is more today, recycling is at a bigger rate than, than energy. But it's true that if tomorrow, without preparing the future, you cut one, one end-use application, which is on top of that, um, still, uh, an interesting application, a, a very valuable application, there is not going to be an, an immediate response on the market to capture that. So yes, probably there will be a need for the legislator to then look at this globally, if it's not possible to go for any material recycling, because we don't have extra capacities in Europe, and no, nowhere else actually. And Europe is doing the best when you look at uh, compare the whole world, Europe is the most advanced market from that point of view. But It's not going to be enough. So, yes, we will have to find energy application, coincineration applications, but I don't know where. Will it be in Europe? Will it be outside Europe? Because also the capacities in Europe are becoming scarce there. So, I think there will be additional challenges to be looked at. That's the perspective, at least from from our our practice. But I will be happy to hear other colleagues' views as well. Thank you.
0: Thank you. We have one more minute before we go to a closing statements. So does anyone want to come in on that? Okay, well, we extra time for the closing statements then. Um, to wrap up, I want to ask all of you to have a couple of minutes uh, on what your key takeaways are. Ms. Magat, let's start with you. What has stood out for you today?
8: Okay. Hi. Right. Well, um, that we share. I mean, there is there is a consensus around uh, some key challenges. I mean, we we personally are not uh, participating in the infinite market, which was a major topic. But I can see that uh, you know, reach and, and waste are important topic for all of us here. Um, so that would be my takeaway.
0: Thank you, Ms. Maga. And Ms. Vitelli, what will you take away from today?
7: Um, I think my takeaway is on the need to reinforce our message to protect health and the environment and on the fact that very often the trade-offs are made uh, and are detrimental to um, the protection of health and the environment when it comes to chemicals exposure. Uh, And that's a problem for us. Also, Um, a take back is the need to uh, be convinced basically about the alternatives that will open uh, and and develop further Uh, uh, on the market. Regulatory measures are often the best market incentives to to create this shift towards uh, sustainable or at least more sustainable solutions. And um, just a reminder that when the risk assessment was conducted for this very specific restriction. I'm narrowing a bit the focus. Uh, The bandwidth uh, six year transition period was found to be the most appropriate solution. And so this is where we come from and this is the position we support. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Mr.
7: Cox, what has stood out
0: for you?
6: I was also gonna say health, but I think the, the health benefits of people playing sport needs to be given higher priority in this discussion um we've heard a lot about infill we've heard a lot about the effects on the environment but equally we've heard speakers talk about the circular economy and the benefits that that brings to european society and to the the global society and i think we need to look at everything in a joined up way and not just focus on specific aspects of what can happen between we need to minimise the risk without adversely affecting other parts of uh, human
5: activity.
0: Thank you. Mr. Rahad, what are your key takeaways from today?
5: One very good key takeaway will be that basically I think everybody here in the panel and probably also in the audience uh, are convinced that that we will do the best uh, for 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 the for the environment we, be, we will try to find the most sustainable solutions. and uh, and we are some people here that are very practical people uh, and know that things are not uh, black and white. They are there are sides to to this coin there are two sides to the coin. Uh, we have something about environment we we have some considerations about environment, we have some considerations about climate. We have some considerations about uh, this spreading of microplastics, which we all want to avoid. So, it, basically, I think you know, we, we we all want we all want the same sustainable uh, society in Europe and, and work in that direction. And the only way we can we can find the right solution is to exchange knowledge about all these matters, so everybody can consider uh, ups and downs for everything. So that will be my takeaway.
0: Thank you. Mr. van Gelderen, what will be your takeaway from today's debate?
3: Um, thank you. I, I I would just like to add that I think we, we, we all have this this uh, very clear understanding of where we want to be in a circular economy and uh, closed loop systems, etc. Um, but I think to achieve that end goal, we need stepping stones. We need to have intermediate solutions where we can accelerate and drive uh, drive industry and create uh, the, the the value chain supply chain to achieve those very high goals that we have as a society together. Um, yeah, but if we, but if we cannot agree on 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 the path to follow, we will never get there. So I would be very much like that to uh, as, a, as a closing statement. Thank you.
0: Thank you. And finally, to you have the uh, honor of closing our Q and A today. What will be your takeaways from today's debate?
4: Is it me? Yes, uh, I think a lot of good things have been um, have been said. Um, at the very beginning, it was said that the borders between products and waste are becoming uh, less and less obvious. In fact, they are really, um, they lose their meaning. But the, 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 the only difference remains on the regulatory framework, and therefore, a fact-based, science-based, legislation legislation and the holistic uh, comprehensive approach is required and also to provide this necessary long-term visibility for this national recycling industry and thank you for this debate yeah
0: thank you so much thank you to all our speakers thank you to all our keynote speakers today and thank you for watching thank you to our audience and thank you for all your questions we're sorry we couldn't get around to all of them Uh, As I said earlier, this is the last in this series of Recyclers Talk, but they will be back in the autumn, so make sure to keep an eye on URIC's website and social media to find out what those subjects will be about. Now, we have our closing remarks uh, from Emmanuel Katchikis. He is the Secretary-General of URIC. So, to finish us off today, Mr. Katchikis, you have the floor.
9: Thank you very much, Kira, and um, I hope you all hear me properly. I would really like to thank all the speakers Today, because that provided a, a very diverse overview of uh, basically key challenges that the entire value chain is facing. Um, and I want to conclude with basically one word and one number. I think the word is, is, is dialogue. Because, uh, and especially when it comes to, to the restriction that was discussed on microplastics, um, I think we need to have the, those discussions much more upfront. Um, And I, I regret actually not to have been part of the panel discussion because I think we can agree that regulatory signals are very important basically to steer investments and innovate. But I can tell you that there is no industry that is going to see one third of its end market disappear overnight that is going to be able to make those investments to be able to go towards alternative markets. And this is why when we started working with leading tidal recyclers on that file, we very quickly realized that, yes, we absolutely need to make sure that microplastics are not released in the environment. And the best way to do that are risk management measures. We also need to look obviously at alternatives, but we basically need to reach a kind of, not a compromise, but leave room basically for those two options. If we close one, the second one is not going to come. And, and I think that's really important to have those discussions, especially because I've been working quite a lot also with um with the EB um, uh, on different files, to have those discussions upfront. because if we end up with a solution that is going to be a lose-lose solution, I can tell you that from an industry's perspective, what is going to happen is basically that tires that are today recycled, into valuable products are going to be incinerated or exported to third countries. And it's not going to help the development of alternatives overnight. So we need to find a solution to prevent the worst scenario to happen, and at the same time obviously to make sure that microplastics are not released at the environment because we completely share the fact that this is obviously a major threat, and that goes beyond obviously tire recycling and the use of tires that has to be tackled and I think this dialogue is something that we are missing and I've seen that quite a lot in my experience working for URIC of the last six years is that more and more we are setting extremely ambitious targets and this is forcing policymakers to make cliff edge type of decisions and, and those cliff edge type of decisions actually might be the worst not only for the environment but also for basically jobs that we have in Europe, and we absolutely need to find solution for the two. And I I even personally regret that uh, Elise doesn't have the chance to continue the debate, because it's not about agreeing or disagreeing, it's just finding the right method to come to a point where we think this is the best trade-off for basically the environment, but also to make sure that we're going to move forward with more sustainable businesses in Europe. And, and to me, as not only as a leader of uh, Secretary General of Hewitt, but as a citizen, it's extremely important basically to come up with that message because we want to have a Europe that prevails in terms of fighting climate change, circular economy, safe environment for, 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 for citizens, and at the same time, uh, make sure that we have an industry that is moving towards more circularity. Now, the number I think is, is the number I wanted to take is 12%. Um, the European Commission came up with extremely ambitious targets, and frankly speaking, we fully support them. Whether, it, whether they're embedded in the, in the European Green Deal, or the New Circular Economy Action Plan, being more circular, being climate neutral. I mean, this is something that any leader of a recycling industry would be talking to, whether he's leading an SME, which basically represents the bulk of our industry, or a large company, will come with that green mind, basically, uh, orientation. Uh, it's it's not something that comes because he's it's just something that they, that we we have and that we fully support. Now there is a real frustration within the recycling industry because what we see is that the regulatory framework is not following the targets. Let me explain. There are three things that I want basically to 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 to, to highlight. First, the need to go much faster when it comes to eco design, and I know it requires a lot of efforts, shared efforts different types of interests between us as recyclers, between producers, and also obviously working with NGOs to make sure that we're going to basically make real progress on design for sustainability. And recycling is part of it, but recycling is not the only part of sustainability, but it's an important part because when you cannot do anything with a product that basically reached end of life, the best thing that you can do is basically recycle into new materials to make new products. And I think here there is a huge work to be done. And also for us as an industry to understand the constraints that producers do have when they are marketing products on the market, because we understand it's not an easy job. Point number two, clear proper framework. I think we have said it over and over, but now we need action. We want to have a clear status for raw materials for recycling. We need to move towards end of waste criteria And if we cannot go towards end of waste criteria as fast as we need, then we need to have a status for raw materials that are substituting extracted materials back into products. Because as long as we're in between waste and product legislation, we are always going to come up with a huge amount of uncertainty. And that goes beyond simply the legal recognition. This also goes to make sure that we have a proper framework to market those products. The, the, The market for recycled materials, they are it's a European market and it's a global market. And I completely second what basically um, Mr. Megas Mrs. Magus said about the need basically to have adequate H.S. code and end of waste criteria because they are the key basically to have a wider market and to be able to compete with extracted materials. And that comes to my third point. At the beginning, there was a presentation about how much CO2 is being saved when we are recycling tires in comparison to co incineration And there are other LCA's being done when we compare it with obviously the production of primary materials. It's still completely contradictory that today's, in the legal basically uh, framework, there is no incentives for using recycled materials back into products and reward those benefits. In terms of CO2, in terms of resource efficiency, in terms of energy efficiency, and we saw it once with recycled content only for one type of polymer, only for one application, how powerful the tool was to scale up and innovate across Europe. So I think we have more and more to work towards recycled content targets for different types of applications to give the certainty that the industry needs to make the investments and also to look at other tools like green taxation, like Ecomodulation of fees in EPR schemes, because otherwise all the targets that are rooted in the new circular economy action plan or basically uh, the, uh, the, the European Green Deal will actually not be achievable because the policy and business framework won't be aligned to achieve those targets. And obviously I'm going a bit beyond simply entire recycling because what I'm saying here about proper framework, eco design and incentives applies to all resource streams but this is absolutely essential to move towards a circular economy. Otherwise, we'll be discussing the same topic in 10 years. Thank you very much. I wish you all uh, an excellent uh, summer time, and I hope that we'll continue having this cooperation alongside the value chains with NGOs, because we have a lot to share. And Kira, the floor is is back. Uh, I give you the floor so that you can basically close today's uh, recycling talks. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Mr. Katakis. I'm not sure there's much left to say, but thank you everyone for joining. Thank you again to our panellists and we hope you've enjoyed it, that you've come away with maybe some knowledge that you didn't have before and that you'll, uh, you'll join us again in the autumn. Awesome. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>